I think that in establishing of companies, uh, you could be then doing two different perspectives. First of all is that you have an idea and, and you protect it with NDAs and you really limit the uh, amount of information you are giving about your idea. The other one is that you talk to everybody who is a bit willing to listen to you and speak to you. And when we were in the process of establishing healthy, I was contacting then, based on my previous networks, I think 54 uh, professionals. They were CEOs or then HR directors or then CFOs of public listed companies and then small and medium-sized companies. I think that out of those 54, we got then uh, 52 appointments or meetings or something like that. So people were really open and they were willing to help. I think that the greatest learning was that the persons they were describing occupational healthcare services as, as a black hole. You are paying something and, and you just don't know what, what you get in return, their data protection issues and so on. And then there was this one discussion that I, I really remember. We had been discussing the same issues and this black hole problem and, and so on. And then the person I was discussing with was asking that, Timo, have you ever heard about the ancient Chinese Willis doctor's business model. It, it, was, it wasn't so that the doctor would have been then charging for each appointment and sickness treatment and so on. They had really an opposite business model. It was so that all the healthy village people were paying for the doctors. And that was when it really hit me that where have we lost that business model in, in, in the course of, of time here? And how could that be then brought back? And, and I think that that was really the core for healthy. My name is Timo Lappi, and from the professional viewpoint, I, I identify myself so that I, I used to be a, a boring lawyer. I have my background from the law school and then business school. I was working for largest and the oldest law office in, in Finland. I, I really enjoyed my work there, and I really knew how my career would be having heading there. Uh, I, I even knew what would have been my retirement date and so on. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't seeking anything new and every now and then, like uh, like many of us, I, I was contacted then and offered new kind of, of uh, jobs and so on, but I just wasn't interested. Yeah, I think that's probably interesting about like the, I mean, the setup of how that works, like what's your career path mm. has been pretty much similar for, for decades, yeah, like yeah. how it works. Yeah. yeah. So you, you have everything like kind of planned out for you when you start your first, first position mm. at a lawyer, com mm. like a law company. Yeah, that, that law company I was working for, it was established in 1888. And I, <laughs> exactly. I think that the same principles were applying still. And yeah. I, I really like that place. And yeah. I still like it. It, yeah. it was a great place to work. But then it was, I think, a bit less than 13 years ago, I, I, I then was contacted so that they, they really raised my interest. There, there was a person who was then in, in the course of then establishing a, a new kind of service provided to the legal industry, so to my own industry. And, and they were seeking then co-founders then to, to take the project further. 
And I still remember what kind of thinking process it was. It, it was the most difficult one in, in my life so far. I'm sure. From, from the professional viewpoint. So so for you, you were already working as a lawyer. You had a monthly salary of, mm. of a decent amount. Uh, yeah. and, and you were thinking about moving to a new company uh, and starting from, from scratch, essentially. Yeah. And and then in, in addition, I, I already knew that I, I was on the partner track. So I, I could have been making good money a few, a few years after after that and so yeah. on and it wasn't that easy to sleep in the nights during those few weeks i, I knew what kind of thoughts would be then uh, coming to my mind when i tried to close my eyes and so on i, I made swot analysis and, and so on about <laughs> this but then in the end of the day i think that the result or the main reason it's it's just a cliche I have three boys there at, at home and they were really little at that time. I, I was thinking that what could I then be uh, telling to them or even to their children then uh, in the future, what what I did then as my, uh, for my professional career. That's, was it so that I was the partner of the, the oldest law office in Finland for its years 120 to 140 or, or was I part of then a team creating something really new which hopefully then could be then known still at that time. That's a huge decision to make moving from from uh, your existing well-paid work to starting something new. So how about now that that you actually have a couple of companies that that you started What are your thoughts on starting new companies? Do you think that you should start a new company with an idea or with a team or with a client or like what's your approach? What what do you think is the best way to start a company? First of all, naturally you should be having some kind of an idea. But then I, I think that people tend to then overvalue ideas. And and especially if, if they are your own ideas, then you'll be then overvaluing them, thinking that this is something really great and this will be a, a world-class success and so on. And I think that based on, on statistics, they say that the startups with an idea about startups who haven't yet been receiving financing, they, they tend to over-aggregate their, uh, the value of their idea with uh, 1,000 times. <laughs> Or then they just think that they have found a new kind of market that in practice uh, already exists somewhere in the world and they are already players. What, what I've learned then uh, during my years of, of being entrepreneur is that it's it's good that if, if you have a de- decent idea, but then the most important issue is then the team then executing the idea and reacting to customers' feedback and then uh, being ready to pivot the idea or then adjust it in, in accordance with the market changes and, and so on. Let's talk about that, especially in the context of health in, in a moment. But before we get to that, let's talk about the law firm that you started. So Fondia, what was the, like you, you already talked about how there were four people who got together to start a new company. What was the plan for, for how Fondia would be different? I think that we had three points that that remained the same uh, from the beginning, and and I think that they still exist. The first idea was that that we are brave reformers of of the industry. So the idea being that when we think about our idle companies, they were not the large law firms; they, they were something else. We we were willing then to import principles and practices from for example, from the IT industry and, and the other industries, what comes to the project management models or what comes to the uh, invoicing or billing or business models and, and so on. 
And, and we were also then really willing to import also a new kind of digital systems to, to be then used in collaboration with the customers and so on. And then the other, I would say, that idea that has been leading uh, all the way uh, through the years was that we wanted to combine the best parts of then being or using an in-house counsel inside the company or then using an external advisor. And if you think about those issues from the viewpoint of the customer, the good sides of, of having an in-house counsel is that the in-house counsel, it's, uh, she or he is then incurring really good business knowledge as well. It's not yeah. only an outside uh, legal advisor and so on. And then if you are then think about then using external advisors, then the good thing would be that they are really experts in some uh, detailed field of law then they have a really good capacity. So if, if, you're, if you're busy, you could then multiply the person so that there will be 10 different lawyers a place and so on. And mm-hmm. when you have, for example, M&A projects and so on, they are really hectic. That's then a great advantage. So how to combine those from the viewpoint of customer? And then also from the other viewpoint is that how to combine those benefits from the viewpoint of, of a lawyer. First of all, if you're an in-house counsel, you're also then enjoying incurring the business knowledge and really knowing what you're doing and so on. But then you might be then missing the, the support from, from other colleagues. If you're, for, for example, would be a lone lawyer in, in a company. On the other hand, if, if you're an external advisor, you're really encouraged then to deepen your knowledge and, and so on. It's rewarding, but then quite a lot of people, they're, they're frustrated about the fact that there could be one project, it starts, then it lasts for, for one month, and then the deals are there assigned, and you never hear, hear again about the client. So how to combine, combine those uh, two, two benefits uh, from, from both sides. And, and then the third, third issue that was uh, in place right from the beginning was that we really wanted to create the best place to work in the industry. And I think that the, the first uh, tool for that, it was really a simple one, but it was really an innovation in, in our industry. It was a 40 hours working week. <laughs> and, and then the idea being that uh, especially young lawyers, they, they tend to work really a lot in, yeah. in the large law offices. When we, were, when we were able to then offer that kind of advantage, it, it really keep, became a competitive advantage in recruiting good people. Yeah. And if I think, uh, have to think nowadays, what of these three issues? So what was the most important and most successful? I, I think it was the last one. Yeah. We're then able to uh, have good people joining the company. And what happens when you have good people joining the company, then you get good clients. And then you kind of then create a positive snowball effect of things going. You're not uh, involved with Fondia anymore. So, what was what was your main reason for moving aside? In fact, it, it, maybe five years ago or something like that, we were in the in the situation where the we started reaching reaching 100 employees, and we had eight offices around Finland, and then we were in the process of of opening then Sweden and Estonia at that time. And we, four co-founders of us, we were thinking that one of, of common pitfalls in companies is that the, the founders or the entrepreneurs would be then forming bottlenecks to, to, to the growth of the company. And, and we wanted then at that time to make that kind of, of decision that 
all of us, we would be stepping back from the operative management of the company. I, I used to be the CEO at that time. And, and our idea was that let's, let's hire a new kind of professional CEO then building the management practices and so on. And then we're also thinking that uh, it might be really difficult then for the new CEO to lead the company if, if the founders are then in the, in the management group and so on. That then led myself to a really new kind of position. I, I had been then using half of my working time for, for then leading Fondia, the growth of the company, and then the other, other half then for client work, just as a lawyer and so on. And then uh, I ended up in a situation where this one half became empty. And what I still remember was that, first of all, uh, I felt really relieved. Uh, the, the, the burden of responsibility was taken away and, and so on. Yeah. And, I, and I was enjoying my life for, for a few months. And after that, I really started some kind of a thinking process that what would I like to be when I, when I grow up and so on. <laughs> and I think that I, I have a few different paths I, I, I was thinking about. First of all, was natural then continuing as, as a lawyer and, and putting really all in there and yeah. aiming, aim, aiming to be, become the best in Northern Europe or something in, in certain branches and so on. And yeah. first of all, I realized that it, it would be then requiring really heavy investments in time. And then uh, the most important reasoning behind not uh, uh, picking that was that once I had been then in a team building something really new, it just felt some kind of lame going back to a, a, a position where it just are advising other ones doing the same. I just just wanted to do that again. No. The, the other one was then trying to start a career as a board professional and so on. But I was then below 40 that time. And I, I thought that it, it might be just too early for that. So there, there, there would be a lot of professional life to do something else. And then maybe at the later stage, that would be interesting yeah. And then the, the, the third idea was then to try to find a, a, a new kind of, of project that would be really exciting where that I could be then joining and, and, and then being a part of, of developing that. And nothing was then coming up at that time. And then I still remember when I realized that at Timo, if, if, if there's nothing coming, coming towards you, maybe you could be the project yourself and try to invent something new. So... How does one go from law to health? <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> I have to tell a story about one uh, Independence Day weekend at, at, at the skiing cottage w- <laughs> okay. with the family. Uh, <laughs> awesome. It was uh, one year, a bit less than one year after I'd then uh, given away the position of, of CEO of, of Fondi at that time. And uh, I had had the year for then thinking about the future and so on, and it, it was really blurred at that time and so on. We had uh, been having a, a great day outdoors with the family, and after that, being being then in sauna and then having a uh, dinner, and after after that, a few glasses of red wine, not too much and, and not too little, just <laughs> just the correct amount. <laughs> And then the kids had already been going to bed and I was then sitting there in front of the fireplace and I started also again thinking what, what to do and so on. And then first I, I realized that what are the issues I have been enjoying the most uh, during my working career? Uh, I, I found that it was the 
experience about being part of the Fondia team during the really fastest challenger years and the growth years and so on. We were the newcomer in the market and so on. And then I, I was thinking that what I want to do is to challenge traditional industries, create best place to work in, in, in industries and challenge the corporate cultures that exist. And then the third issue was that I was thinking that where I have experiences the then building and uh, leading, managing professional services companies. And, and then it really hit me after that, what might a, a, a person uh, start doing if his great-grandfather was a doctor, his both grandparents were doctors, his both parents are doctors, his ah. brother is a doctor, his uncle is a doctor, his cousin is a doctor, and he's the only, so to say, black sheep of the family. <laughs> okay, so this was kind of like coming back home to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. And, and then at, at that time, uh, also had been then having experience, how how does it feel to be a uh, customer of doctors? We, I think that all of us, we have been using doctor's services in, in our private lives. But during the fond areas, I, I also got the experience, how, how does it uh, feel to be a corporate customer of, of that kind of company? And uh, also at that time, part of the companies, they, they had certain challenges with their reputation and so on. And, and they, they were really, uh, in, in my opinion, that uh, I, I felt they were quite boring corporations. And, and the idea was that what if someone would be then bringing a, a new kind of a really fresh player to the market? That's really interesting. So uh, if we talk a little about actually founding the company, so how is founding your second company different from starting your first one? It was really different. First of all, I, I think that I had a excessive amount of, of knowledge and experience about, for example, the financial issues and the business model issues. And then there was another issue was that also naturally we had had successes in Fondia, but also made mistakes. You, you always then learn something about those. I, I knew what I, I really wanted to avoid. And then there was also a third issue, and this was an economical issue. It was a lot easier that time because then I have, so to say, safer background. The the kids, they, they were older at that time. Wife was already working after them being home. And then I, I had also in, in, I was in more comfortable position as, as the result of then the reasonable success of Fondia. And actually, one of the things that you did do at some point, you took in investors into mm. the company. What was the what was the reasoning for that? Because I mean, you probably could have gone for another model where we where you start just doing kind of the basic model of the industry for some amount of time and and getting revenue from that and and using that to bootstrap the company. So why did you decide to go with investors? I was visiting the Silicon Valley during the first year of Healthy. We were a group of growth entrepreneurs there, and we were meeting a lot of locals, but both the local US persons there and, and also Finns who, who were then uh, being entrepreneurs uh, who were working at Silicon Valley. And one of my great learnings from that trip was that even though there were entrepreneurs who, who had been successful in their earlier cases, they were electing the other way of, of then uh, having also other other people on board. It was then, I would say, that like a credibility stamp for the company, then 
seeing that you are not the only person then believing the idea. It wasn't only about the money. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't. And, and then I, I also think that you, you should be quite deliberate in in thinking about the ownership structures yeah. of, of companies. And at the moment in, in Healthy, although we are not that large company, we have 53 shareholders. And yeah. out, out of them, 14, that they are external investors or board members and so on. And then 39 persons of our team of 65 at the moment, they're also shareholders. Wow, that's impressive. It's been a really good way to diminish the line between the employer and employees and making it really our project we, we are taking forward together. So what's the organizational structure like at Helpe? We have a organizational structure called the ball pool organization. And I think that from the point of view of, of leadership, companies, they, they face different phases. And as they say that the EU develops in that way, that first you face some kind of crisis, then then it's some kind of a small chaos period. And after that, you, you find a solution. And when you have found the solution, you are then stronger than, than before the crisis. I think that quite many organizations, they develop in, in the same way. And if I think then how we have ended up to, to help this ball pool organization is that, first of all, when you're in the startup phase, everything is it's really easy. You are a, a handful of people then working in the same room. You don't have to worry about communications or structures and so on. Everybody, they have really clear goal what to do and so on. But then you grow out of, of that stage and, and then you have to start thinking about then structures and uh, the ways and media for communication and so on. And I still remember it, it was two years ago in Healthy, we had around 30 persons. And I think that at that time, if you would have then stopped someone there and asked that, that who are you reporting to or, or who is your supervisor? And so they, they, they wouldn't have known the answer. And then I was then uh, given the, assigned the task of, of then finding uh, a ways to describe our, our ways of working. And I think that first of all, what was really important for us was then defining our values. I still remember when I wasn't that a great believer in corporate values and so on. I, I, I thought that 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 is secondary, but I, I nowadays I, I really disagree about that. I'm in the in the group of or the camp of people who think that corporate values are are a joke and mm. and they have no meaning at all. Mm. <laughs> and and the reason why I think that is that. In general, when you see corporate values or you see uh, a company mapping out their values and then you look at how those values are are used within the company, mm. in in my like experience, how they're used is they're mostly used as a joke. Mm. That you joke mm. about how like, we did this, even though our values are that, and then you laugh at like, <laughs> uh, these are like, the, the, our values are so ridiculous. And, and that's mostly how values are being used yeah. in companies. Yeah. And I've always always felt that mapping out the values just creates a joke. Whereas if it's the other way around, that every now and then, let's say on a yearly basis, you get together with a group of people from the company and you look at like you ask the question of like, if we look at how we are operating today and look at the way that we do our work, 
what would our values be? Mm, mm. And then you look at the actual like result of that. And then you say like, okay, these are good. Or then you say that I don't like these. We need to change them. And you, then you decide on a strategy for affecting those values. Mm, mm. But you don't put out values on a piece of paper that these are our values because they become a joke. What are your thoughts on this? <laughs> I get the idea, and I also think that one of the reasons behind that is that uh, uh, quite a majority of, of companies' values, they, they are quite lame as well. Uh, our value might be, for example, then uh, shareholder value. Yeah. How, could you th- how, how could you be thinking about an opposite value of we, will be, we want to destroy the value of our shareholders, or then it's the, the customers first or something like that. How could you be then thinking about company whose value would be customers last and so mm-hmm. on. And what I think that was the most important thing for Healthy was that uh, we were a really uh, the size of the group of people at that time. It, it was just the optimal one for creating the values. We were then 20 or 30 of us. And then we really did those together. And, and when they were then done together. People were really proud of those. And what I learned then, it was the next week, in fact, I popped to, to a spontaneous meeting uh, taking place in, in the corridor of Healthy. There were two uh, occupational healthcare nurses just discussing with, with each other after having then being a, in a recruitment interview with, with a potential candidate. And, and they were discussing that, yes, th- there was love in place with this person, but how about then the glow and the balls? <laughs> <laughs> so they, they started to affect our, our decision-making right from the beginning. And that's when I thought that, and, uh, that we had really been inventing something great for this group of persons. And still... When we think about our current way of working, we are then a self-managed organization. We, we are then operating in accordance with the teal organization practices in our ball pool organization. And we have then developed like a constitution for healthy. And it says that we believe that in, in all of their activities and decisions and operations, all the healthy people, they will be then acting uh, in accordance with our values. And then they are uh, trying to reach our targets. And then they are all then acting uh, bona fide uh, so that they are really wanting to just do good things for the company, uh, for its all customers and, and all, all the colleagues. So there are no no other incentives. and. In the event that somebody would then be breaching against this constitution, meaning that breaching against, for example, the values, it, it would be a, a breach towards all, all, all the healthy community. And we would then also have the right to react to that. Yeah, I, I get that. And, I, I, and I, at, the, at the level of like this concept that we're now talking about, I, I think that's really like, I, I love that. And then when you try to look, take it to the, to the level of like how does this apply to actual day-to-day decisions i think often the the issue is that because because the values are so abstract mm-hmm. and so high level such as you like love energy glow <laughs> and balls they're pretty abstract yeah. things so mapping them down to day-to-day decisions is hard and it's not often clear what would be the right decision based on our 
values because it's hard to interpret like what does that value mean in this context in this day-to-day decision we have then also in place something called the advice process as, as a lot of teal organizations they have so idea being that for example if someone is then responsible for hr before then making some kind of decision she has the authority to, to do the decision herself but not in isolation from the other people she's required then to seek for advice from all the colleagues who either would be affected by the decision or then who have then experience or knowledge about the matter that is decided and i think that that is a quite a good process then to also ensure that you are operating in accordance with the values also i think that values they they are that kind of uh, thing that you should be really communicating them often to the organization and it's quite often in 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 our leadership group uh, which is then it consists of of all the people who are working in healthy we then bring examples about then actions uh, which have then been showing our values so try to then give positive examples uh, to people to to then see how the values really are in action in in our daily life yeah i, I think that's that's probably one of the also one of the best ways that i've seen them work is that when you, when you share stories mm. of like how the the uh the values were applied and and what that meant on a day-to-day like operational basis yeah yeah totally agree with that okay i i i need to rethink my my view on on corporate values and see if i can if we can do some kind of experiment experiment with our within our company to see whether they would provide value or help us with with some decision making i i highly recommend that Yeah, it's it's something that I've been against for years. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's interesting, but but I have I have noticed myself being more and more open to the idea of having values <laughs> at the company. And and once again, I mean, uh, I just want to clarify that my my opinion is not that values are bad. Mm. Of course not. My 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 opinion is simply that like writing them down like as soon as you write them down, they're kind of ruined. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's better if they're kind of uh if they're just you live them and you show them every day but yeah. you don't really write them down if yeah. you write them down they're ruined yeah. that's, and that's there, the there's yeah. even even one better way to ruin them it's it's to buy them from a consultant <laughs> <laughs> well that's for sure yeah and of course like it's it's always when you look at corporate values especially when you look at them from the outside when you're you have not been a part of the process of creating those mm. like looking at your values love energy glow and balls from the outside you're like Uh, of course they do differentiate you from from a lot of other players that's mm. for sure because these are different for sure but still i mean it's really hard to see like what went into them and mm. and of course like within the company as you described you've had a process for getting to those and like uh, for creating those values everyone within the company who has been a part of that process has a much deeper understanding of what these values mean yeah. for your company And I would say that we are quite an extraordinary company, and I would be willing willing to uh, take a bet with you. So we could be then visiting healthy, and taking a random person from there and ask what are the values. And I'm really confident that uh, the right answer would be there in in three seconds. Wow, oh, that's that's something I might take you up on <laughs> at a random point when I just meet someone from health. I'll just ask, "Where are the values?" <laughs> Please do. <laughs> awesome. 
we already talked about decision making at the company. So you use the advice process. Are there kind of limits to using the advice process? Are there some decisions that are outside the scope of the advice process? Yes, there are limits. In in principle, you should be then using advice process in, in all of the operations. And also what is then uh, one really important aspect of, of a teal organization is that you are then also distributing information really freely. And for example, in, in healthy, uh, all the people, they know our monthly figures and, and they know about our uh, pipeline for sales and so on. And even when when we were then building our financing round, the people in Healthy, they, they knew with whom we were negotiating before the round, although uh, things they were not secured yet. And so we have a great trust in people to d- distribute knowledge with them. And naturally then we have then also been discussing the aspect that what of the information are such that they are free to discuss them then also outside the organization and what are then our common confidential information. So when you then deliver or distribute information in the company, it makes it easier then to use advisor process. You you don't have to think that, can I uh, reveal this information to my colleague or not? But, but there are then certain exceptions. First of all, privacy issues, what, what comes to then uh, our employees' own, own private lives or, or their situations and so on. The, those, those should be such that, that they are kept in, in really small circles. And then a really interesting topic also, I think that the openness of salaries, it's been also discussing healthy. There, there are many organizations which make the salaries public inside the company. And I think that it, it would be a great idea. It, it's would demystify the salaries and so on. Uh, but we were discussing that that question with, with our people a bit more than a year ago, that would we be publishing those? And the answer was that, please don't. But uh, when you don't, please keep in mind that they should be uh, such that you could be then uh, making that public anytime. So they should be fair. Talking about salary transparency, I think in general, I'm a fan of transparency. I think Mm. that transparency is a really, really good thing. But then when you read read companies who have like published uh, salaries, the thinking or the the kind of the results are actually pretty mixed. Mm. I mean, there's there's results that say that, that it was a really good thing, but there's a lot of like reports that I've read where people were like, I wish we had never done this because now I keep looking at people in a different perspective because I just keep comparing my performance to them and comparing my salary to them. Mm. And, and I, I wish I just didn't know Yeah, because this doesn't help me with my work. And then the healthcare industry, it's, it's also a really interesting industry in, in, in that sense. And if you think about the typical salary levels of, of experienced doctors, then as, as competent salary levels as nurses, the, the doctors, they, they might be doing three times as much per month as, as the nurses. And then you can think that, is, is that fair? Especially if, if you're uh, living in a, in a flat organization and, and you're cooperating a lot and, and so on. It, it isn't, but, but this is the reality where we're living at, at least at the moment. And my wish is that we could be then making those a bit more even when the the time goes and we will then 
uh, be having more and more financial freedom. You already mentioned that uh, actually a large part of the company uh, is like employees of the company are also shareholders in the company. So who decides on who becomes a shareholder? We don't have that fixed principles about this. We we don't have any defined programs so that you you have to be in the company for this long and have this kind of position and then you will be then getting this this kind of allotment and so on. In the event that you are in the company and you have been there for a few months at least and so on and then if there would be a share issue you are then welcome also then to subscribe for shares in the company and the idea has been so that it's it's always beneficial for the company to get then the employees also as shareholders and and then to get uh, aligned interests with them and also i would say that especially in healthy what has helped in us in in this kind of thinking is that as we have been in, in, so to say, financing phase, we have needed new equity to the company. It's been really an interesting idea to also have the employees invest to the company instead of the idea then that the, all the investors would be, so to say, outside persons. I guess in that structure that also, like, if if the money that you have to put into the company is actually at a valuation that is not the lowest, lowest possible valuation, that also means that people have to put in kind of real money mm-hmm. <laughs> where they will actually, it's not just the fact that I now have a shareholder status. It's also the fact that I really put in money <laughs> and I want to increase the value of that money. <laughs> I have two really opposite uh, experience about then define these kind of, of structures. Yeah. The the first of all, it was from Fondia. In, in the early days of the company, we wanted also to then incentivize and then commit our employees with, with shares. And the idea was that we wanted to give out the shares with as cheap as possible price. So the cheapest that the tax authorities would be then accepting. And and I think that the discount as compared to the, the actual value of the company that time, it was around 90%. And what that led into then was that people, they were never satisfied. If, if I would be then telling to you something that you have an allotment of shares uh, worth then 1,000 euros and you might want then to make that 10 times bigger or something like that. And then I would continue that, Sami, that in fact it's 1,000 euros, but the actual value of the uh, shares, it's 10,000 at the moment. You, you wouldn't be maybe believing me that there's no public trade and so on. It's it's only, only discussion and so on. Yeah. And then it led to situations where people were, for example, making these 1,000 euros subscriptions, and then they might be then receive uh, eight euros of dividend next uh, spring or something and people are joking in the corridors that let's go for a coffee uh, the dividends they have arrived unfortunately I, I cannot buy you a coffee they are not large enough and so on yeah. but now in retrospect after the IPO I, I see that the people who were in that at that time they, they made a really good deal and so on yeah. it was just hard to communicate and I'm not quite sure that whether the total impact of the program was positive or negative. When we were thinking the same again in in Healthy, we designed it differently so that 
we were not using this 90% discount. It, it was still a good deal for the employee shareholders, but the valuation of, of the company was more at a decent level. Then the discussion, it was really different. It, it wasn't so that that you had now this allotment of 1,000 euros and so on. It, it was like the opposite way, so that we are making a share issue. The price of one share is this much. Uh, what kind of amount would, would you be interested in investing? And so, so it was so that everyone who wanted to come on board, they, they, they got what they wanted. <laughs> 